0: Bible says 2nd Chronicles chapter 34 2 Chronicles chapter 34 the message is entitled tonight lost and found and as we go through the message we'll see why in chapter 34 we now come to the last great revival under the leadership of Josiah before they go into captivity Judah now has come to the end of the line with God. And it's amazing that a revival takes place at all. And it comes after the reigns of Manasseh and his son Ammon. Two men who who really brought the nation down into idolatry and sin. And you would think that there would be no hope at all for the people. But there's always hope. Always hope in God. As long as we have a breath in us, we have a great hope in God. The Holy Spirit is still sovereign when it comes to revival. It's the work of the Holy Spirit, not anything that, that you know, we do in our, of ourselves. So let's look now at Josiah and see how you know, wonderfully God used Josiah as king. Let's begin in chapter 34 with verses 1 through 7. And it says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah. And Jerusalem, the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. They broke down the altars of the Baals in his presence, and the incense altars which were above them he cut down. And the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images he broke into pieces, and he made dust of them. And he scattered it on the graves of those who sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars, and and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem and so he did in the cities of manasseh ephraim and simeon as far as naphtali and all around with axes when he broke down when he had broken down the altars and the wooden images and had beaten the carved images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of israel he returned to jerusalem you hear people today asking what's right and what's wrong Well, that question should be easy to answer because it's it's what God says is right that's right and what God says is wrong is wrong. We can't say what's right and what's wrong because we're going by our opinion, we're going by our flesh, we're going by what we enjoy. Josiah was sincere about what he was doing here and he proved it. There was evidence of it. It wasn't just a so-called informal cleansing of, Uh, uh, of of idolatry he began to seek God the God of his father David that means in the lineage it wasn't his real father but it was he was in the lineage lineage of David okay one of his forefathers and again he began to seek the God of his father David meaning that he practiced the rights and the laws of, of the true religion Josiah was humble and he was obedient He wasn't proud and he wasn't self-willed. And we read in verse 2, He did what was right in the sight of the Lord and he walked in the ways of of David his father. That means that he walked in the ways of Jehovah God. He was persevering. He was thorough. He was not inconsistent and incomplete. We read in verse 2 again, He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. That means he stayed focused. He didn't get sidetracked. He stayed focused and didn't deviate from what was the right thing. And verse three says that Jehovah was sixteen. I'm sorry, that Josiah was sixteen years old when he began to seek God. Notice sixteen years old, young people, you're never too young to seek God. When your sins are forgiven, you will walk away from your sins if, if you're truly born again, and if revival comes in our day. We won't have a divorce problem. We won't have a sexual promiscuity problem. We won't have an alcohol and drug problem and many of the other problems we see in our society today. We will see a great change take place in people. And Josiah, man, he was a fearless reformer. And after he had cleaned up his southern kingdom of Judah, he went into the tribes of Israel in the north. Josiah was the last of the good kings that Judah had. And after he died, all the kings after him weren't that good. And they helped to ruin Judah. But Josiah, and he, he, he performed bravely. And in verse 3, we have a record of some of his impressive performance, especially his pursuing God and his purifying, <clears throat> cleansing himself for God. Now in pursuing God, it says that he began to seek after the God of David, his father. Even though he was only 16 years old, he started to seek God. Young people say, oh, I have plenty of time to seek God. I know at 16, I didn't even think about God. He was nowhere in my mind other than religion when I, you know, go to Catholic church every once in a while and I made my confirmation at a certain point in my life. But other than that, I felt like I was doing what I needed to do. Because we can, at that age, young people think they have plenty of time to seek God. But, you know, there's a lot of things I want to do before I, you know, uh, get religion, as we used to call it. But, you see, we don't have a lot of time uh, the way we think we do. It's not true because, you see, no one is guaranteed any time at all. And being young is not an excuse for not seeking God. And then we see Josiah cleansing, his, his, purifying for God. He started to clean up Judah and Jerusalem. Josiah kept himself busy with making godly spiritual changes, which was badly uh, needed in Judah. And it's important to see that Josiah started this reform. He started this reform after he began to seek the Lord for himself. And the point is, if, if you're going to lead others to the Lord, if you're going to try to lead them on the right path, you first have to get on the right path. If you're going to cleanse the land and the surroundings you're surrounded, you have to purify yourself first. You have to get right with God. If you're going to try to get others right with God, you know what? They want a good example. They want to see God and you may be the only person that that, that they will ever that, that will ever help them to see God in the way that you live. And Josiah's reformation shouldn't stop there. Because a good king will think first about improving himself and secondly, improving his capital, where his court sits. He'll think about improving where the laws are made, improving his land and the people in it, improving the cities, the empires, the nations beyond him as far as lies within his power. He'll do all that he can do to bring purification and cleansing to the people and to the land, to the laws. The cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, even as far as Naphtali, in in their ruins around the area. A good king will spread his influence as far as he can, as far as possible. And in particularly, he will try to be helpful to those people in his neighborhood that are less enlightened, you know, that that know less about God or, or are more needy than himself. Then we see the method of his reformation, what he did the reformation was carried out by the king it was it was sincerely planned it was a detailed plan and it was complete but it was violent suggested in verse 6 by the words with axes look at verse 6 it says he burned the bones of the priests, verse 5, on the altars and cleansed Judah in, in verse 6. And so he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali and all around. No, he did it with axes. Now, the word axes here means swords. So, again, he, 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 you know, he, he did it violently. And, and, again, destroying spiritual corruption. Sometimes it can't be carried out with some degree of harshness. Sin that's pampered in the church is always hard to get rid of. When, when people are not used, to be, not used to be preached to about sin and, and disciplined for their sin and, 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 and counsel about their sin and it goes on. When somebody comes and tries to deal with it, it's going to be difficult. It's hard to get rid of sin when it's been pampered. Then we, the, we see the extent of, of the Reformation. Judah, Jerusalem... And the Israelite cities, already mentioned here, were cleansed, verse 3 through 7 says. They were particularly cleansed, the altars of the Baals were cleansed. The sun images were cut down. At Josiah's command, verse 4 tells us. Secondly, the Asherim, or the pillars and the trees of Asherah, with the carved and molded images that were connected with the polluted worship of Astarte, they were broken into pieces. (laughs) and their dust you know they were burned and that dust was scattered on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them and then the bones of the priest who had sacrificed at those heathens they were taken from their graves and they were burned on the altars where they had ministered before the people and they were destroyed now here's the lessons of 1 through 7 the benefit of early godliness Third, second, the value of Christian passion like Josiah had. And third, the difficulty of carrying out reformations. Again, it, 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 you know, it took violence, harshness, in other words. Let's look at verses 8 through 13 now. And the scripture reads In the eighteenth year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan the son of Azaliah, Messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah the son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. When they came to Hilkiah the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites who kept the doors had gathered from the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim, from all the remnant of Israel, from all Judah and Benjamin, and which they had brought back to Jerusalem. Then they put it in the hand of the foreman who had the oversight of the house of the Lord. And they gave it to the workmen who worked in the house of the Lord to repair and to restore the house. And, and they gave it to the craftsmen and, build, and, and builders to buy hewn stone and timber for the beams to the floor, through the floor of the houses which the kings of Judah had destroyed. And the men did the work faithfully. Their overseers were Jahath and Obadiah, the Levites of the sons of, uh, of Merari and Zachariah, and Meshulam, of the sons of the Kohathites to supervise. Others of the Levites, all of whom were skillful with instruments of music, were over the burden bearers and were overseers of all who did work in any kind of service. And some of the Levites were scribes, officers, and gatekeepers. So in verses 8 through 13, we see Josiah repairing the temple. We see, first of all, the lessons here. First of all, the value of order. Again, Josiah had a well-laid plan secondly we see the efficiency that's guaranteed by dividing up the work they had certain people skillful craftsmen to do certain things you see there, God gives gifts to his people to do certain things you know many times we, we we have the desire to do something but we may not be skilled at it but we see here God uses the word skilled he had skilled craftsmen to do certain things so again we see the efficiency that's guaranteed by dividing up the work the value of then secondly or thirdly the value of cooperation these people work together so there's a value to order we see the efficiency of dividing up the work and we see the value of people cooperating together in getting the job done verses 14 through 17 Now, when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. So Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the king word, saying, All that was committed to your servants, they are doing. And they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord, and have delivered it into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Notice, finding the, the Hilkiah found the word of God, the book of the law, in the temple, as they were working in the temple. And in Hil- when Hilkiah found the book of the law in the temple, this was the turning point in Josiah's Reformation. Now, what, what, what Hilkiah found, the, the, the book of the law, this, was, this scroll was probably all the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch. If, you know, it, it was like, you think about it, and, it, and it, it doesn't seem possible, but it's like losing the Bible in the church. And here's the saddest part not missing it for years. And you know what? A lot of people sit in churches all over the United States and other countries, and the Word of God is not preached, and they don't even know it. It's kind of the same thing. Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of God given by Moses. We see here that it was sinfully lost. God's Word. I mean, what a treasure God's word is. And you would think words that God had spoken to this nation through Moses, that is the statutes and the judgments and the commandments that he ordered them to keep and and that formed their great glory as a people would be a, a great treasure to them. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 162, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. Man, is God's word to you like a great treasure? Now, you probably have a lot of things maybe, you know, that, that you've got maybe from, you know, your parents or grandparents that you treasure and you keep care of it and you keep it in a special place. You take that kind of care and and carefulness with the Word of God. You see, if you truly treasure something, you'll take care of it. And yet this law of God, God's Word, had been so sinfully neglected that the very knowledge of it pretty much had all but disappeared from the land. And the book that contained it it had disappeared because the king had neglected it. The king, man, the king should have been its biggest defender. And the officials of the court had neglected it. The priests were in charge of God's house. Who were in charge of God's house. They neglected it. And they allowed it to stay unread until it ended up in some corner or room where it was covered up under a pile of trash or dust and lost sight of. Can you believe it? What a terrible sin. And it's if, it's if there was a deliberate plot to put this first Bible out of existence. And there was because Satan hates the word of God. And today... There's this same degree, the same danger of the knowledge of the Word of God being lost if we don't treasure it and we don't take care of it and we don't preach it, just like it was here. But it's, you know, And the danger of the knowledge of God's Word, the Bible being lost, it's not because there's a strong hatred of it, It's because there's a great neglect of it. It's just not a priority in in a lot of Christians' lives. It's not a treasure to them. Time isn't set apart. It isn't set aside to read and to study it. Jesus said that the church of Ephesus in, in Revelation 2, 4, he says, I have this one thing against you, that you have left your first love you have left your first love the word left that jesus used there means let go it means send away it means give up it means abandon the word that jesus was using there was meant willful neglect they willfully neglected their first love the early church didn't go off in their doctrine They went off in their personal relationship with Jesus. How many Christians don't open their book or the Bible from one day to the next? How many Christians don't bring their Bible to church or even open it in church? Many church-going Christians are just as unaware of what's in the Bible as the heathen is in many faraway jungles. Many more have lost whatever they did know of the Bible through neglect. And for many more, its truths are not at work in their life as if the book was really lost. If they, as if they really did lose it. We read here they lost the Bible in the church, in the temple. The Word of God is our only weapon against the devil. It's God's word that's alive and powerful and sharper than uh, two-edged sword, Hebrews tells us. There's no shortcut. There's no easy way. There's no new method to revival. I mean, we have tons and tons of books today on Christianity and Christian experience and how to grow in Christ and all of these things. The problem with most of the books is that they give you a man's method. Not thus says the Lord. There's only one inspired book in the whole world, and that's this one right here. The others are just men's ideas and thoughts and opinions. They're not telling us you need the Word of God. Let's get back to the Word of God. You see, we don't need any more of man's books. We have tons of man's books. All you have to do do is go at, at, at just about any Christian bookstore. What we need is the big book, the best book, the Bible, God's Word. We don't need the book of the month. We don't need the current bestseller. We need the book of the ages, the Word of God. And how many churches today really do rest upon the Word of God and preach the Word of God? Many pastors who have deviated and departed from the faith, they've lost the Bible in their church in a sense. That's why today the church is weak and ineffective because of the neglect of God's word. You want to see what the church should be like? Read the book of Acts. There's the church. There's what the church is to be like. Liberalism has gotten into many churches. The world has gotten into the church instead of we getting into the world with the gospel. There's a clear denial of God's word even in so-called evangelical churches. The word of God has been lost in the church and in the home, many other places. The first thing Christians need to recognize is that revival is personal and it's individual. It starts in the heart. And it starts with a renewed love for the Bible. It starts with a renewed love for worship and a renewed love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not some banner or promotion on a building. And we need men and women today in all areas of life to honestly confess that we have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that's written in this book. Verse 21 says that. We need people to say, I have been wrong. I have neglected the word of God. I have neglected my relationship with the Lord. And I'm going to get right with God. The book was found by Hilkiah, the high priest. He found the word of God. And he put it back into the lives of the people. And a return to the Bible has to be the beginning of a revival. God has preserved his word since the very beginning. If it wasn't important, you know, God would have let it get wiped out or destroyed a long time ago. God has wonderfully and miraculously protected his word since the beginning, all through the ages, from the neglect of hateful and godless men. And it was Josiah's passion to repair the temple. And that made it possible for finding the book. And it was found just in time to give direction to these improvements that Josiah wanted to make. And it was reverently examined. Hilkiah recognized the book when he saw it. And verse 15 says he, he, he gave it to Shaphan the scribe. And then Shaphan, the scribe, read it, verse 18 says, and Shaphan turned the pages with excitement and with a scribe's instinct, he was satisfied. Man, this is the real thing. This is God's word. So he takes it with him. He reads it slowly, especially the parts that were new to him. Man, our biggest concern should be to know what God's will says to us. Psalm 85, 8, the psalmist says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. Verses 18 through 21. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Thus it happened when the king heard the words of the law. Notice his response. He tore his clothes, a sign of remorse, a sign of grief. Verse 20 Then the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Abdon the son of Micah, Shaphan the scribe, and Isaiah a servant of the king. And he said, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. Read the word. After learning what the book said, to him, said for himself, Shaphan didn't waste any time taking it to the king and bringing it to the king's attention. And when he read it, he found out that the book, man, it had some strong, terrible warnings in there. It had some strong condemn, condemnation for those who didn't do all that was according to what the book said. Shaphan wasn't sure how Josiah would, would react to this whole message. But what's neat here, Shaphan didn't want to influence how how Josiah would receive the book by anything that he said. He just read it to him. He let the book speak for himself. Guys, God's word doesn't need defending. He starts by saying, I did what you told me, king. I gave the money for repairing the building to the workers. Oh, by the way, look what I found. And then Shaphan shows the book, the law to the king that Hilkiah the high priest found and gave to him. Man, this got the king's attention right away and Shaphan began to read it to him. And as Shaphan read it to the king, notice the king's response. He had an immediate and overpower- it had an immediate and overpowering effect on him. He tore his clothes. Again, at that time, that was a sign of grief, a sign of sorrow. He was grieved and he was sorrowful because the word of God had not been, had not been applied. It had not been followed for such a long time how people respond to god's word is a good indicator of how of, of their spiritual appetite how hungry they are for the things of god and how strong their desire is to please the lord our purpose for reading the book isn't for head knowledge it's not just for information it's to learn the whole counsel of god and we don't read it just to look for the the, the wonderful promises there are many yes And we do want to know the promises of God. But we we don't want to ignore the warnings either. Or think, well, you know, this part of the Bible, it it, it doesn't pertain to me. Man, we could spare ourselves a whole lot of hurt and injury if we would heed the warnings of the word of God. Josiah was convicted by the reading of the word of God. And it's so awesome how the Holy Spirit makes the reading and the preaching of the Word of God an effective way of convicting and converting sinners. I mean, some of the most miraculous things have often happened just by reading the Word of God by itself. I mean, that's how I got saved. Just reading Romans chapter 7. Wanting to do right and always doing wrong. That was me. Knowing what was right, but always doing what was wrong. That's what happened with Josiah here. The book of the law. God's word was the only preacher. Preacher. But as Shaphan, Shaphan read it to him, those, the, the words that he was reading, man, they cut like a sharp knife, like a sword between the soul and the spirit, between the joint and the marrow, as, as, as uh, Hebrew says. It cut to the heart of Josiah. He knew before that the nation had committed great sins and that God was not happy about it. And he'd done what he could to bring about the changes. But now, for the first time, he learned what terrible things were predicted for those who committed such sins, who did not do according to the word of God, the things written in it. And he saw how great the nation's evil was. He was so deeply convicted, it says, he tore his clothes. And then immediately he sends a group of men. It says in verse 22, 20, 21, he says he sent men to go inquire of the Lord concerning the words of the book. So they went to see the prophetess, prophetess Huldah in verse 22. And here we see the power of the word of God to convict men of sin. The power belongs to the words of scripture like no other book. The psalmist said in Psalm 19, 7, the law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul. Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The fact that it's true is one of the many proofs that it is the Word of God, that it is the divine inspiration of God, His Scriptures. And the power of the Bible comes from the kinds of truths that that it declares, from the inspired greatness of its words, from thus says the Lord, which stands behind those words. I said them, God says. They're coming from me. They're my word. That's what drives them home with authority and with power and brings us inner conviction because they're from God. That's what confirms that it is the word of God in our conscience. It's an example of the right reception of the word of God by Josiah. He received it in the right way. Josiah didn't act like King Jehoiakim. Remember when King Jehoiakim was read God's warnings? Remember what he did? He took a knife and he cut the scroll to pieces and he threw it in the fire. When when Josiah heard... The terrible things God said would happen to the nation because they hadn't been doing according to what was written in the law. He didn't question God's word. He didn't say, oh man, does he really mean it? No, is God really being fair? He, He didn't question God about the warnings. He accepted the warnings as truth, as fact, and he was righteous. And the people, including himself, he says, we are wicked. And you know what? This is how God's word should always be received with humility and faith and a trembling heart at what it says at its warnings but also with joy and hope at the wonderful promises that are in it. Josiah wanted more light on the word of God. So he sends a group of men to inquire of the Lord, Lord, verse 21 says. He was hoping to learn what they could do to stop the warnings, to stop the curses that the sins of many years had brought upon the nation. Look at verses 22 through 28 now. Verses 22 through 28. So Hilkiah... And those that the king had appointed went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalem, the son of, of Tokath, the son of Hazra, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke to her to that effect. Then she answered him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants and all the curses that are written in the book, which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and not be quenched. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire the Lord in this manner, you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Notice how many times, thus says the Lord concerning the words which you have heard because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants. And you humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes and you wept before me. I also have heard you, Josiah, says the Lord. Surely I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place and its inhabitants. So they brought back word to the king. The person they went to see was the prophetess named Huldah who lived in Jerusalem. The word was confirmed by her. Now she couldn't give them much comfort. But she could only confirm the warnings. Josiah, they're true. She said in verse 23 and 24, tell the men who sent you, this is what God says. I'm going to bring calamity on this place. Why? Because the people, she said in verse 25, because they have forsaken me and they have burned incense to other gods. Because the people had committed sins that the word of God had condemned. You cannot commit sin and not expect judgment. But God had mercy upon Josiah. She said, tell the man, and she was speaking to the king. Josiah was a common man, though he was a king. She didn't have a message, she had no message of comfort. But to the king of Judah, as an individual with spiritual needs and spiritual concerns, she had a word of of mercy for him. She said, because of you, Josiah, in verse 27, she says, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself when you heard of the misery and the curse that would come upon the land, God hurt you. And God said he would spare you from the evil that would come. And if the nation repented like Josiah did, they'd probably be spared too. Because you see, God never rejects the humble and the truly repentant at heart. God's word says, on this heart, I will look on him who is poor of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Isaiah 66, 2. He says, I will protect them from the evil to come. Verses 29 through 31. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and priests and the Levites and all the people great and small. And he read notice, and he read their hearing in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all of his heart and all of his soul and to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. He shared the word with the people. You know that, that, that we could have a revival today if first people would return to the word of God to find out what he wants us to do then there will be and has to be a total commitment to God on the part of the people, his people. There can't be any half-hearted service when it comes to serving God, which there's way too much of today. You can't walk with the world and walk with God at the same time. It's impossible to do do both. There has to be a definite, full-out dedication of heart and life to God. And when that takes place, the Spirit of God is then free to move and to do great and mighty things. Again, when you go back to the book of Acts, I believe in the book of Acts, the word Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, was mentioned over 50 times in that book. Because you always read about the Spirit did this, the Spirit said this, the Spirit moved. The Spirit. Because the people were in tune with God. And I'm sorry, it was either 50 or 150, but the point is, over and over again, you read about the moving of the Holy Spirit. Doing wondrous things. Because there was a total commitment to God on the part of His people. There can't be half-heartedness in the service of God. Again, there has to be a definite serious dedication of our heart and life to God. And when that takes place, again, the Spirit moves. In closing, verses 32 through 33. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. Notice, he made them take a stand. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God the God of their fathers. Thus Josiah removed all the abominations all the country, from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in Israel diligently, notice, diligently serve the Lord their God. All his days, notice all his days, they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. Notice that. He made them take a stand. He made them diligently serve and they did not stop serving all the time he was king. We have, to, we have to take a stand for the Word, for God. Josiah made them take a stand. You cannot walk the middle of the road with God. The, reside, the result of knowing the Bible, having Bible knowledge, that should, it should result in obedience on our part. It should result in service on our part. It should result on a living commitment to our God and to his word. So like what happened here, you need to find the word. You need to read the word. You need to obey the word. You need to share the word and you need to stand for the word. Someone said, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And people all around us are falling for anything today. They're believing what the world tells them. And I believe with all my heart, and I think you're seeing today, the day is coming when you will have to take a stand. God forbid one day somebody walks into this church with a gun and says, all who truly believe in Christ, stay here. Everybody else can leave. Would you stay or would you go? It's coming. It's coming. Jesus said, remember therefore from where you have fallen. And he said, repent and do. That means return to your first works. Remember from where you have fallen. In other words, repent and do. Go back to that place where you were walking with God and you were reading the word and you were worshiping God and you were serving God and do your first works. Father, thank you so much for this powerful chapter. Father, help us. God, help us in these last days, Lord. As we see sin becoming more and more rampant, more and more vile, more and more in your face, and more and more hatred for God and Christianity and Christians. God, help us to take it serious, Lord, as well as our relationship with you, Lord. Father, help us to take a stand as we read here in this chapter. God, help us to take a stand and help us to diligently serve. And help us not to depart from following you, God. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're not born again. Or maybe you thought you were born again. And you thought that going to church was enough. Enough. know that Jesus said unless you are born again you will not see the kingdom of God the worship team is going to lead us in a time of worship and if you feel the need the pressing urgency of God upon your heart to do right to make things right you feel like Josiah. You tore, figuratively speaking. You you you've torn your clothes in conviction. Then, as we worship, you get up out of your seat. You make your way down the aisles towards the steps up front. I'll meet you there. And when the song is over, we'll sing a, a, a simple, we'll pray a simple prayer of faith together.